Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a CBS Sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza, back to talk a little bit more baseball here with Will, I'm going to say friend of the program, Will Aldrich. I'd hope so, yeah. Undefeated since you joined yeah. us. Yes, I, I wasn't going to say that, but you came out and said, that's right, they're 9-0 since I uh, first started covering the team over at PNC. Wasn't going to say that, but... Uh, I, I can yeah. say it though you can say it yeah yeah, yeah nine and oh they haven't lost the game so i started covering the team I'm not saying that there's anything there but i'm not not saying that there's anything there so we'll just leave it at that we are going to get to some questions and answers questions from subscribers answers from will maybe from me mostly from will you've been around this team a little bit longer than i have but let's talk a little bit about where things are going and where i don't know where where they last time we talked will we looked at like an eight game stretch coming up and they're five and zero in the first five, and we were like, you know, would it be crazy to expect them to be eight and zero? I don't know, six wins, seven wins. They're they're pretty much right on. Actually, four and zero right now that I think of it. But they're so good. Their run differential is so impressive. They're getting out in like seven innings now. I wonder if like an optimistic view of yeah, they should go six and two. They should go seven and one. That that doesn't even seem like it's like overly optimistic anymore. That does seem like it's a pretty reasonable expectation for the way they're playing and, and how good they've been on the mound and in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's somewhat reasonable. I mean, that's what's so unprecedented about this team and this, you know, as this program right now is that, you know, yeah, you look at the Baylor team. That's why I was hesitant to say that they would go down to Waco and sweep them is because this is baseball. I mean, you lose games that, that maybe on paper you should win even against the an inferior opponent it always comes down to pitching matchups and, and whatnot. So I was hesitant to say that they could go down there and sweep, but they're just finding ways. They're finding ways to win. They're, they're blowing teams out They're You know, like I said, this is really unprecedented for the program and just the way this line lineups coming together. One through nine is, has been so fun to watch. So no, I, I don't think it's that crazy. Every game's an adventure. Every game is a, a lesson to be learned. You might see something new. You might see something better. You might see something worse. I haven't seen a whole lot of things get worse, but as you've observed in the past handful of games, not just the nine-game winning streak, but let's just say in the past four since we last spoke, what has stood out to you as, I would guess, an improvement, um, but like what stands out as something that is noticeable about this team? It could be negative. I think you'd have a hard time finding a negative right now, though. Yeah, it's it's just the, it's it's one through nine. It's one through nine in the lineup, and, and it, it's interesting because – in a usual season, maybe you have a guy like JJ Weather, who's the nucleus of the team, but it doesn't—it it doesn't really seem like that. It, it seems like they kind of feed off his energy, and they—they they feed off his, you know, some of these performances he's been having. But it doesn't seem like the team's too reliant on him, um, and, and it seems like you could put him anywhere in the lineup, and you'd still have these, you know, four or five run innings. Um, and it's been really interesting to see how, you know, they've moved him around, they've moved different guys around, and. And they've had success um, really with any Sorman one through nine. So I think I would say that's what's been most uh, most interesting to me the last few games. Another four thousand crowd at the game on Wednesday night. Um, just looked like miserable weather, especially at the end of it. Kudos to you for standing out there with the recorder in the rain, getting the post game interviews. Um, I don't know why you did that, but I'm glad you did. But nevertheless, four thousand people there again. 4,070, I believe. That's one of the top attendances. I think it's the number one for a regular season game. And I would imagine that they might actually top that coming up. But let's talk about what we saw 
Wednesday and what may actually bring people to the park Friday, Saturday, Sunday here. They just dispatched Pitt, uh, a team that isn't very good maybe, but also just seemed like they had no chance. Anytime that West Virginia had an opening, uh, West Virginia ran through it and did some damage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could make an argument that that was the most impressive win thus far, certainly in non-conference. Just like you said, that's a, that was a dominant victory really from start to finish um, from the first, first inning on you had two things I wanted to highlight seven scoreless innings by two true freshmen. Um, they had 11 hits from six different guys. It was a total team effort. Landon Wallace, JJ Weddle each had three hits apiece. Um, and then if you put this game back to back with the PNC park game, that's 13 consecutive scoreless innings to get against Pitt um, going back to when they, I think fell behind four nothing early on. Um, so thirteen scoreless innings against Pitt, and they'll look to to add to that when they play a little bit later on this month. And now we look ahead. Three against Oklahoma. Oklahoma suddenly frisky. Uh, they swept Texas, which seemed at the time to be a great favor to West Virginia, but. They've also taken the last three here, one against Dallas Baptist, two against Kansas, lost the game to Kansas. But um, I think in my head here, that's six and one in their last seven games. They're nine and nine in the conference. It's at Morgantown. These crowds have been pretty effective. Well, what stands out to you about the crowds and the impact that they have on West Virginia, but maybe also the opponent too? Yeah, I mean, you hear Randy Mazie, I'm not going to say he sounds like a broken record because he likes talking about you know, the impact that the fans have had on the games. And it's, it's, it, it's been so crazy to watch. I mean, you talk about last night, that was, it was 4,000 plus fans. It was on and off rain and it was just an insane atmosphere. Everybody came out, the students came out, community came out. Um, and I talked about this a little bit last week, but just really bought into this team, um, rain or shine. It didn't really matter. It didn't change the way West Virginia played. They still, you know, battled the elements, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, Oklahoma certainly can't overlook them. They're not a bad team by any means. Um, they're, they're you know, really right around the middle. They'll, they'll certainly make the Big 12 tournament, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, these, these three games could be as critical as any so far this season. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think you're, you'll get a West Virginia team who's going to sleepwalk through this team. I think they're trying to carry the momentum they've been building. And, and again, maybe this streak ends. Maybe the nine-game winning streak ends here. Um but I don't think at this point in the season, one loss um, isn't going to affect them. You know, they're okay um, kind of putting that past them and and uh, and moving on day by day. All right. Let's get into some questions. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We're going to start with Crowtown Ear. This is kind of a softball for you, but this will definitely get people going here. Uh, he says, hey, we're having a great season, but we all know how seemingly every WVU program has struggles in the postseason. Give us reason to hope for the College World Series. Oof, I mean, we're having this conversation, I guess, huh? <laughs> they're, they're not only going to be in the regional, they're going to be in the super regional and they get all the way to Omaha here too. But I think we can have this conversation now. This is a top 12 team in the polls. RPI's up there. They are on pace to host for a regional. They have a magic number now. I think it's six um, for winning the Big 12. On and on and on we can go. So yeah, there's reasons to talk about it. Will, what's a reason to hope for the College World Series here? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a big goal. Um, you know, getting to the College World Series for for the Mountaineer program would be, I don't know, it doesn't even need to say that, that would be a massive, massive step for the program. Um, I don't know if I can give, re- I mean, there's, there's certainly reasons for optimism. I'll start with a few things. I mean, you're looking at this roster that, that Randy Mazie has constructed. Um, 
And, you know, obviously we'll keep this on this season, but he has built a roster that's sustainable for, for multiple seasons. Um, you have young guys contributing. Um, he's, he's brought in guys to, to kind of work around that, that high school four-year player uh, core that he's built. Um, then reasons for optimism, back-to-back -back big 12 player, players of the year, or sorry, players of the week. Um, with J.J. Weatherholt, Tevin Tucker, both bringing home that award. Look at a 306 team batting average. They have a little bit, I think just a little bit under 500 hits on the season, a 4.13 team ERA. That's both second in the Big 12. Um, and then as of last night, we now have, they now have three guys um, in double digits and home runs with, with J.J., Caleb McNeely, and, and Grant Hossie. I would say that's a few things to, to maybe give yourself some optimism. But, I mean, if you're – just look at the crowds I and mean, there's 4,000 people coming every game. Um, so, you know, this is, if that doesn't excite you, I don't, I don't know what will at this point. Okay. Um, we're going to stay on this one here. Your guy, Carson Estridge had a really good showing last night. I say your guy, because you said that, that could, be, good. Yes. That could be the good. Sunday starter here. And he certainly has pitched well, not that Robbie Porco hasn't, but Estridge has done his part to live up to the Aldridge standard. I guess that's good. But in a regional how can we expect the rotation to be set up? That comes from Scoot Dog U. He asked a couple of questions, but that was most relevant to the conversation we're having here. How would a rotation look, do you think, for a regional? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's there's certain things that, that Coach Maisie's still working through. Um, obviously, we'll start with the obvious. It's going to be Ben Hampton and Blaine Traxel in that one and two spot. Um, the third, we, we kind of talked a little bit last week, maybe Porco, uh, maybe Estridge. Um, I like Estridge. I think he has the highest ceiling. Uh, I'm going to double down on that take right now. Um, I just like his length. I like his the power that he brings to the plate. Um, a really strong fastball. Um, and uh, I think we got a glimpse of what he can bring in the next couple of years. Um, Coach Maisie talked about this a little bit after the well, – after uh, I'll say Wednesday night's game. He, he's still trying to work up his endurance a little bit more, maybe hinting at the fact that he wouldn't be that third, that, that third starter. Uh, maybe he'd – He'd give it to Porco, um, but certainly a guy that, you know, if you run into trouble, if, if any of the three of those guys run into trouble in the Big 12 tournament, you can bring estrogen and for, for multiple innings and, and try to settle things down if, if things aren't, aren't going well. Yeah, what's so interesting about the rotation is Hampton's left-handed. They're always their own little being if you're a left-handed pitcher. Traxel is just unique, the way he throws stuff. It, it's, it's not fast. It's not hard. He comes to different arm angles. A lefty don't go in one way like Hampton. Traxel coming in like few righties do that's going to keep a team off balance and you're going to get this six seven six eight guy who's thrown really hard in the third game that's three completely different vantage points for a batter too what stood out to me about yeah. Estridge's outing last night he actually pitched against Pitt and I thought it was strange that they would let him go again against Pitt but I guess they want to heat him up and see if he can do it um and he certainly followed through with that too yeah. stick with pitching here oh, oh I, yeah well I actually want to go back to your point on Blaine Traxel it's interesting you said that so you're, you're talking about all of his, all his different arm angles. And, and one thing that sticks out to me about him is his durability. It's, it's insane. I actually feel like I was thinking about this the other day. He really is, I think, pitching in the wrong era. Cause this is a guy that if Randy Maisie told Blaine Traxel to go out on the mound and throw 150 pitches for eight innings or nine innings, and then take a day off and then do it again, game three, I think that Blaine Traxel would say yes. Um, it, you know, you're looking back to the fifties and sixties when guys would throw, hundreds of pitches and, and didn't care about their arms. And I'm not saying that he doesn't, but I think that he would do whatever, whatever his coach asked about him. And it's been, you know, just insane. His, his, he has a repeatable motion. Um, 
great break on, on his breaking pitches and uh yeah just insanely durable blaine traxel maybe wrong sport too softball pitchers go like what 50 times a year that's true he's probably good all right now let's move on to something else about pitchers here from nc wayward ear he says uh this year's freshman pitchers look like they're all cut from the same cloth being tall lanky room to fill out their frame power arms with loose arm motions was this a planned change in who they're targeting or just the way recruiting panned out for that group? This is a really good question because if you look past, if you look at past classes, it's really hard to find a, a number of six, seven, six, eight guys. Okay, maybe that's strange, but you can still be tall and lanky, not be six, seven, six, eight. I, I do wonder is this a lean in their recruiting? I think it's more more of a coincidence in, in terms of last year's class. I mean, uh, Estridge was talking last night about you know how he's never been around a group this tall. Um, it, it's you know, I can't remember seeing a seeing a group uh, of freshmen come in in six seven six eight Porco. I think it's six eight, just like insane. And uh, I, I would lean more towards coincidence, um, although that's certain some certainly something that you look for in a pitcher. Um, and uh, you know, all those guys really have very high upside. So yeah, I, I would probably lean more coincidence. That said, there's something to like about that though too. What what is he? You know, we haven't even mentioned Gavin Pan Kemp, and he pitched last night too. He's just six six, right? But right. there's definitely. a lot to work with there too. If you're trying to get guys for three years, boy, if you get a six 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 seven six eight guy for three years, that's a pretty good investment. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure the return is going to be significant too. Yeah, yeah, and and Gavin obviously, you know, has to be said he was a draft pick. He got drafted, I think, in the twentieth round uh, by the Cardinals last season. So he had he has pro potential, um, and I think. He, he showed that off kind of his long relief um, prospects for this season, um, but is definitely a guy, you know, moving into next season and maybe the year after that as a, as a Friday, Saturday guy. Okay. Let's go on to recruiting a little bit here too. A couple of questions that piqued your, um, your interest here. The first one from Pat's fan, 1993. Can we have a brief talk about the baseball recruiting? I'm dialed into football and basketball, but know very little about baseball. Do we have defined recruiting areas for coaches, visit windows, same signing periods, any type of discussion would be interesting. All right. This one's you, Will. Yeah. Because there's a whole bunch of places we can go here too, but you know a little <laughs> bit about the landscape. Um, how do they go about this? Yeah. So so for starters, Steve Sabins, he, he's taken over that role, I think, since 2018. And 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 that's kind of his he's taken on that role and and has done a really great job in in developing and and uh, finding talent particularly in the Northeast. I, I think what's what's caught my eye about West Virginia's recruiting over the last two seasons in particular is that they've been very consistent with their recruiting territories. Um, you look at last year's class, there was four Pennsylvania natives, two Virginia, two New York. Uh, they had a guy from New Jersey and a guy from uh, Connecticut. Um, and I think that, you know, you, obviously they're always going to dabble in, in South Florida and, you know, they obviously found couple of couple notable guys in Alec Manoa and Austin Davis, but I think that WVU has a chance to to really be the premier destination for college baseball in the Northeast. I'm talking about for Northeast players. Um, they've it, it seems like that's been um, something that they've they've wanted to to focus on more in the last couple of seasons. Um, and, and you look at the the talent that they've been been able to develop from that area. Um, I think we're going to see even more of that in the next couple of years. All right. Sticking with recruiting. This comes from Luke Zoolander 01. Um, West Virginia baseball's recruiting has been amazing the past two years. Why is baseball recruited so well? Manoa bump is amazing staff that good at talent evaluation. 
Is it NIL? Probably a little bit of each, I guess, here, but what's your yeah. assessment? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing that sticks out to me is that Randy Maisie has done really an incredible job finding guys that fit into his system, similar to, to the way that, that Bob Huggins did with the, with the press. He, he went out and found guys that would fit into his system, you know, Javon, Dax, Trey Phil, guys like that, um, guys without an ego who will, will play his game, play Maisie ball, play small ball, hit and run. They'll, they'll steal bases when they need to. They'll drop a bunt down um, in a, in a score, in a, in a tie game, even if they're three for three guys without egos. Um, it also doesn't hurt, uh, you know, having some free publicity in, in, uh, in the MLB with, you know, Alec Minow and John means like that, that certainly helps for um, their resume and, and, rec- and uh, developing big, big league arms. Let me ask you a question now too, that kind of plays off of this um, facilities. Awesome. That matters. I think um big 12 um i think it's good right it's a power five conference but it's not for example the acc or the sec too but that maybe is a lot like football where it's not one of those two conferences that you think of like big 10 and sec how much the conference affiliation and how much does the facility actually help yeah i mean i think that goes hand in hand what i talked about earlier with with um finding guys in the northeast and, and trying to be that premier program for those guys you know there are we know there are, there are so many count, countless athletes. There are professional athletes all throughout Florida, all throughout Texas, and, and there's also just as many um, you know Division One programs that those guys can go to. So I think the fact that they've uh, really settled on on trying to be the best program using the players from the Northeast, I think that's really big for them. Um, I don't think weather is as much of an issue. I mean, they play, um, they have the facilities, and they play. In, in a conference where that's not really an issue. I mean, they go down South every year um, during the beginning of the season. And, you know, with the professional caliber facilities that they have, I think it makes up a little bit for the cold. To, if that answers the question. Yeah. I think some people haven't been to like Stillwater in April. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's not fun. It can be yeah. cold there too sometimes too. Um, Greg before, uh, and this is my fault for not getting in this question earlier. I had a, a spot for it earlier in our conversation. So forgive me for having to rewind here, but he asks, uh, Hey, loving this year's team, but if there were a weakness, it would be the pitching staff lacking that dominant starter. I think we'd agree with that. Right. Um, sure. His question, what is the ceiling for this team? Had Jake waters returned? Hmm. Um, could have returned. And that was a power arm, started as a closer last year, ended up as a starting pitcher, their Friday starter. Not the best statistics, but he certainly had that power arm. This makes me think, uh, what is the ceiling had Jake Waters returned? It's tough to answer that because, you know, I don't really know. I mean, yeah, I mean, so they brought in Blaine Traxel. They obviously, once, once Waters decided he was going to pursue professional opportunities, they needed to bring in another guy. Um, so maybe Waters stays, but they don't get that third guy. And then, you know, it's a freshman kind of fighting for that, that Sunday role anyway. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not really great at playing the what if game. Um, I think it just kind of worked out the way out, worked, worked out the way it worked out. They brought in the guy, they lost a guy. Um, and I think ultimately maybe you're looking at a freshman starting in that Sunday role regardless. So I'm not sure. Um, I don't really like to play the what if game. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that, though. Well, I think actually Grant Siegel was the first transfer that they took. So it's, it's weird to say Traxel was an afterthought, but he was, I think, the second or third, second pitcher for sure. But uh, I'm looking at Waters last year, uh, three and seven in 18 appearances, 11 starts, 622 ERA. 
Um, yeah, some of that is going up against the Friday starters, but wasn't great last year. Um, right. Would, yeah. Would... I, yeah. I, I liked him in that. I actually liked him in that kind of Carlson Reed role uh, late in the game. Um, I think he was a bit more of a, a shutdown guy than, you know, give me five or six innings in the start. Um, I haven't looked at his, uh, how he's been doing in professionally this year, but that was kind of the role I liked him when I was covering the team back in 2020. It's, a, it's an interesting point now because we're talking about these, these three freshmen that we've mentioned in, in different answers to different questions here. Would they be pitching? Would they be getting this opportunity? And if they are peaking right now, let's say they have their best baseball ahead of them in the next couple of weeks, does that even happen? If you have a guy like Waters, I don't know. And like, again, would they have gotten Traxel if, even if they got Seagull first, would they have gotten Traxel and right. Traxel ended up being the number two starter? You have an argument that maybe, not that they're better off without Waters, but maybe him moving out of the way created opportunities for multiple people. And you really have to have depth of staff, and, and perhaps they do. And that's not a bad thing there, too. All right, let's move on. Talk some draft here. There's a question from C. Hush. Question is, over under on players getting drafted off the baseball team. Bonus question, what national awards does J.J. have a realistic chance of winning? Let's start with the second one here. We mentioned last time that the Texas Tech series, that may come down to deciding the Big 12 Player of the Year. Is that a national award? Well, Player of the Year in a major conference, possibly. But I think National Player of the Year might be a little bit too tall right now, but certainly All-America recognition is out there for him. Um, let's stick with this one here. What type of national awards and recognition are out there? Does he have a realistic chance of getting his hands on? I think fans can expect a reasonable shot at Big 12 Player of the Year this season. Um it seems like he just only strengthens his case every time he steps on the field. Um, like you said, national player of the year, I think that's that's probably a little bit far-fetched at this point. I think you kind of need a season to break out on the national scale. I mean, uh, a couple outlets had him as kind of a player to watch this season, but um, I, I think you kind of need that breakout season to put yourself on the map for the next season. So I think, if anything, fans can expect next season um, to, to kind of track – uh, that national player of the year for J.J. Weatherill since he has to come back. Um, All-American, I, I don't think that's out of the picture at all. Um, like I said, Big 12 player of the year. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the guy from LSU, Dylan Cruz, he's he's been on another level this year, and almost certainly he's going to be the guy that that brings home that, that national player of the year honor. All right. And then draft players over under. If I have the number right in my head here, they only have 11 players who are draft eligible. Just crazy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So what do we think as far as, well, I, I'll let you set the over-under here. Um, for the upcoming draft, over-under, draft picks. It's. I will give a number. I'm going to say, if I had to set an over-under, I would say maybe two and a half, three, I think is where I want to go. And, and a lot of that is because there are draft, a lot of, a number of draft eligible players who will have an option to come back. Um, guys like Landon Wallace, who I think is is certainly a professional player. Um, I think he could really benefit from another year coming back. If he leaves, maybe he still gets drafted not as high. I'm not sure. Um, ben Hampton obviously ha has an option to come back. Um, I think he could benefit from another season of development. Um, but in terms of guys this year that I think that could get drafted, I'm looking at uh, Tevin Tucker, I think teams will love his athleticism, his versatility, and his speed. Uh, I think he has a chance to get drafted. Caleb McNeely as a power bat um, should land him in the later rounds. And and I think Blaine Traxel, like I said earlier, just for his durability, kind of that repeatable motion, uh, uh, repeatable motion and 
and kind of moving on that breaking pitch. I think those three guys all certainly have um, definitely have uh, a, an opportunity to to get drafted this year, and then it'll come down to to decisions during the offseason whether they want to pursue professional opportunities for the other guys. Yeah, real quick here. I mean, it's an exciting time for the team, obviously, and these are high, high, high heights right now for the program. And you might get used to it because here's here's their draft eligible players. Uh, senior, Jay Carr, redshirt senior, Caleb McNeely, Kevin Dowdell is a grad senior, uh, Kevin Tucker, grad student, Dane Leonard, grad student, Blaine Traxel, grad student, Noah Short, grad student. Those are all seniors, right? Um, and then your junior class, Linda Wallace, Carlson Reed, Braden Berry, Ben Hampton. That's it. Yeah. I mean, everyone yeah. else in this roster has a chance to come back next year. I mean, some of those juniors have a chance to come back too. Hampton, Barry, Reed, and Wallace, like you said, um, that core could be in place for a while. That's that's pretty exciting, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was – touched on that a little bit earlier is that Randy Maisie assembled this lineup, you know, took his – developed his four-year players, added in some complimentary, complimentary pieces in, in terms of transfers, um, and has built – really what could be a sustainable roster for not just this season, but, but next season. And even the season after that, um, it's going to be really exciting to watch. And I think there's going to be a lot of big decisions during the off season, but this team, although I want to keep it on this season, this team is is setting up to be another top 25 team uh, just a year from now. So definitely something to look forward to. Here's a, an observation that's more of a question, I guess, but uh, RVA Ear asks, uh, it's been 44 days since the alliance between Iowa State softball and WVU baseball. The story just keeps growing. West Virginia's record is something like 19-6 and six with two sweeps since then. Did this alliance catapult West Virginia? Also, this is a great story. I don't know if it catapulted them, but it is a pretty cool story, huh? Oh, that's that's one of the stories for the year for me. Um, we've got Iowa so. For, for those who, if anybody hasn't heard, basically it all started with a tweet uh, from the WV Barstool account um, saying, you guys don't have a baseball team. Well, we don't have a softball team. Let's adopt each other. Um, there have been jerseys sent to the softball team. There have been the Iowa State team. Went to watch a West Virginia game at Oklahoma State. It's, it's, uh, it's been really fun to, to kind of watch this budding friendship uh developed throughout the last month um and uh i know that comment mentioned west virginia's record uh since it started but iowa state team a team i, I believe was actually struggling beforehand has also uh picked up picked up their record uh, quite a bit as well i love it i think it's cool baseball players softball players they they they're kind of their own thing sometimes too because so much of the sport is just you're you're together a lot a lot bus rides, hotels, things like that too. So it kind of takes one to know one. Um, and they actually have that one more thing in common too that makes it kind of cool too. So I, I agree. It's kind of a cool story. I'm glad to see everybody kind of embrace that too. Got time for two more here. Um, and again, this is more again observation than question. This comes from B Shoe. Says probably not a good answer to this question as it's more of an observation and a classic Kazasa type article topic. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, but why are our guys getting hit with so many HP? BP. We leave the conference with 83. Second most is TC with 62. Landon Wallace led the Mountain West last year with 16 HBP, has 14 already this season, which is the second most in the conference behind Dane Leonard, 16. The most HBP in the conference, Tevin Tucker, 12. Texas as a team has 31. Leonard and Wallace have 30 by themselves. So Brandon's question is, why are they getting hit so much? I was at a game this year, Will. They got hit nine times by pitches. Yeah, um, yeah. 
it's insane. And I don't have a great answer for this. And, and I wonder what you do. I agree. I, I, I'll try to give as best of an answer as I can. You know, ultimately there are going to be teams that just get hit a lot for, for really no reason at all. I mean, you look at, take what Landon Wallace, for example, against the Baylor, he got beat up during the Baylor game. Yeah. A side note, I've never seen a player get his dugout worn for getting hit. That's a that's a, another conversation. But, you know, trying to work him inside, um, trying to keep him from getting his arms extended. And, and sometimes the balls just run in. I think they're – I think all three were breaking pitches. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and check. But, yeah, just, just trying to work guys inside um, to keep them from getting their arms extended. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's as good of an answer as I can give. Sorry. Went back and I looked, it's not a trend. You've had teams that have ranked high hundreds to 200s in HBP the past couple of years, but it's like a magnet right now. Just You, you know someone's going to get hit, and it's like sometimes it's the toe, but sometimes it's the helmet. Like last night, Tucker got beaned in the dome. Um, and then I think, well, yeah, Wallace got hit in the face, right? Yeah. And then played the next game too. So, okay, makes sense, sure. Uh, final question here. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out where it went. Hold on one second. Had it, can't find it now. Got that one. Got that one. Oh yeah. Okay. Final question. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. This is this is a good way to go to send off here. Um, from Hair Raid, is this upward trend with baseball continues? How do you think it gets handled by the administration? Do we see some minor renovations to the park to hold more seats in the next five years? Let's make that less of a yes or no question. Um, relative to that possibility, more seats, but just in general, if this upward trend continues and this becomes a team that's successful more often than not and has a following as it has developed this season. And even in recent seasons, too, probably going back to the Manoa year, um, you got a couple years now where you're saying, hey, baseball is kind of a thing here. How does the administration handle it? Is it just adding seats? They do something different. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to talk about Mon County ballpark upgrades, the first things I would look at, um, first of all, the, the turf hasn't been replaced since it was built. That's a big priority, I know. Um, they've, they've tried to patch it up a little bit around the first and second bases, um, but it's in really tough shape, really stiff. I, I couldn't imagine trying to take a ground ball in there right now. I was on there last night. Um, and I think a, a new scoreboard in left field would be a big priority as well. I think that you would need, you know, you mentioned the upward trajectory. I think you'd need a few more seasons like this of of kind of regular 3,000, 4,000 uh, 4, um, attendance nights to, to think about outfield seats. Um, but, I mean, if you want to talk about upward trajectory, um, the, the fans, if, the, if they continue to show up, it's it's really on them. I mean, if, if they're going to show up every game like they have been, there's there's really no reason to no reason not to to think about building some additional seating. But where though, like over a wall, center field, like you're not going to have the bullpens in left and right field, right? I don't think they want fans near the bullpens. Um, no, there's also not enough room. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that I guess in the, in the berms they yeah. could. Yeah, that that's what I would consider. I, I think there's a chance looking at it that it, I mean, if you have people sitting on berms regularly, it only makes sense to add seats there, right? Yeah. Well, at a cost though, right? That's going to be tricky. Um, scoreboard. Yeah. If it just worked on the regular, that'd be okay. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of other ones here. I don't know. And like, this doesn't really count, but they've added like nice restaurants and, and the park in there is pretty good. I say nice restaurants, like the, the fancy BW three, but like that's the place people go before and after a game. That's been pretty yeah. good. There's a couple places over there. Like, so overall it's not too bad. Um, it's, it's a great park. I mean, and you're right. Some of the, the aesthetics aren't as much as maybe just the functionality of the field. Um, I wonder if the dugouts and all that stuff are, 
as kept up as they could be. They probably were great when they opened, but I wonder about that in the clubhouse and all that stuff in the future. I'm not sure I go out of my way to make the visiting um, facilities great, but your home digs probably should be as good as they can be. Um, but man, I guess the, the point is that's a good problem to have. Like if you're like, man, we really 100%. need to invest in baseball, but you'd much rather have that than like who cares about baseball. 100%. All right. Well, uh, got a couple minutes left here. Anything you want to send us off with for keys for this weekend? Um, what we know about West Virginia, what we know about Oklahoma. How about a, a, I don't know, a viewer's guide, a preview, some things that you think are possibly important to keep an eye on here. Anything jump out to you? I, I, the only thing I would say is just don't don't overlook this series. Um, I know a lot of fans, more than players, are probably looking forward to that that Texas Tech home series, um, and then certainly that that Texas series on the road. But this Oklahoma series is just as important. Um, I know fans are going to certainly show out, um, and it's going to be important because the team really feeds off that energy. They mentioned it last night, and um, these three games this weekend are, I think, going to be massive in in uh, West Virginia's chances to. Uh, capturing a big 12 crown for the first time yeah combination of six wins or losses by teams below them a couple of teams with 11 wins just like west virginia but west virginia has three extra games because they started their conference play later than the other team so while they're 11 and four the other teams kind of rivaling right now 11 and seven texas right there at 10 and eight too so um a lot done already but a lot still to be done um they've accomplished some things but not nearly as much as they want to and they're playing meaningful baseball in May in Morgantown. That's pretty cool. I'm not sure we're going to talk ourselves into that back when the season started in February. But, hey, here we are. That's a pretty cool thing. Will, thanks for doing this again, man. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. We will do this again soon. Until next time, I'm Mike Casazza. That's Will Aldrich. We will talk to you then.